everybody, welcome back to the Athletic Potential Podcast. My name is Mike Matthews, I am your host, I am the owner and operator of Athletic Potential. And today we are in episode 3, a brief intro of this episode. Today we're going to talk about a case of someone who had ulnar neuritis. Uh, We're going to go over shoulder range motion differences. We're going to go over kinetic chain and what that exactly means. And then it looks like we'll finish our episode today talking about stretching or specifically how to restore overhead range of motion following pitching or throwing. So again, just a quick intro of me. My name is Mike Matthews. I'm a physical therapist and strength and conditioning specialist, and I own and operate Athletic Potential where we help a variety of different athletes to be able to get back to sport if they're injured, but also then to achieve any athletic goals that they may have. A quick overview of our framework for our episodes. We always start with a case, uh, usually the last person that I've treated for today or yesterday, depending on when I record these podcasts. And then also we go into uh, question and answers uh, from our listeners that they ha- that has been submitted, and then we leave with one takeaway at the end of the episode. If you have any questions, please email me at mike at athletic-potential.com. We will answer any and all emails that we get. And uh, that being said, let's get started with today's episode. All right, so our case today is a 20-year-old collegiate baseball pitcher his average fast velocity, fastball velocity is around 91 miles an hour. And he came to me initially um, with some pain and discomfort in the right inside of his elbow. So just kind of right in this region here. And he said that he, when he pitches, he notices he gets numbness in his hand, but he also gets pain in the elbow. He's also noticed a little bit of velocity drop, averaging around 86, 87 miles an hour on his fastball. When I did some testing, I noticed he had some atrophy or, and weakness in the in the uh, in the inside of his elbow. You could tell the muscles weren't really uh, quite as developed as you expect for someone his age and his history of pitching and, and participating in baseball. And when we tested his grip strength, he had a noticeable loss compared to his opposite side. Uh, And then I went and looked at his shoulder range of motion. We also noticed that his shoulder range of motion was um, not where he wanted to be in regards to a baseball player and that he didn't have any shoulder pain or anything like that, but that we also noticed he had some slight weakness on his right side, right shoulder compared to his left. All right, so following this... um, he came to me with an MRI, uh, an arthrogram already in report, basically st- stating that his uh, ligament on the inside of his elbow, his Tommy John ligament, was intact and normal, which is a good thing because you always worry about that. If, if we don't have that image and, and don't have that clarification, we kind of always have to assume maybe there's something wrong with that ligament. But in his case, it, it seemed to be okay. Um, so... The, the tentative thought of mine is he had some sort of ulnar neuritis, his irritation to the ulnar nerve. It's the nerve, the funny bone uh, nerve that people talk about. It's just right up underneath the elbow in here. And then it can send pain into the elbow here and down the forearm and have numbness and tingling into the pinky, a little bit of the ring finger. Um, if it's bad, you can also have some weakness and those type of things. So we were going off the premise that we we're pretty sure that this was an ulnar neuritis problem. And so our first 
uh, treatment one was to have him stop throwing because that was the main issue he was having as he was having pain with throwing. All other activities seemed to be okay, but he had this residual numbness that would kind of stick around following his throwing uh, activities. So we had him stop doing that. We also had him avoid positions that uh, irritated the ulnar nerve. In his case, it was full elbow flexion, so bending his elbow all the way back, uh, as well as then, um, you know, putting stress onto his elbow, kind of in this position, think like a hang clean or any type of clean snatch position. He had some problems. And then what we had him do is, since he had normal range of motion of the elbow, we started him on some exercises to, to improve the strength of his forearm muscles. Uh, we call it the elbow protocol. Um, I'll link to it. Uh, in the show notes, but it is something that we use pretty extensively with all of our baseball pitchers uh, and actually been using a lot more with our softball players as well. And in his case, since he had significant atrophy and we were in basically the start of the season, we were worried about getting him back quickly. I used blood flow restriction training where we put a compression device. It looks like a tourniquet, but it's not quite the same. And it uh, restricts the amount of blood that leaves the arm, but not necessarily comes into the arm. And what it does is it lowers the the threshold for treatment. Um, it allows us to do more work with less weight, less resistance, and also has some other properties that really help uh, help the body to heal and help the body to, to improve in strength and, and muscle size. And we did those in positions where he just doesn't have any symptoms in his ulnar nerve. And we got him going on that for a couple of weeks. Once he was pain-free and he could demonstrate uh, good strength and good range of motion, we cleaned up his range of motion in his shoulder. Um, he, all, all players that come through with an injury specifically, at least um, that I'm treating, in order for them to return to a throwing program, uh, if they've stopped throwing and then we have to start them again, they have to pass what I call a return to throw assessment. It's a series of tests that usually incorporate range of motion and strength as well as pain testing to make sure that we don't we're not we don't have any structures that are irritable or, or problematic that way. And then they have to go through a coordination testing, they have to go through endurance testing, and then they actually have to show me that they can throw uh, balls, different type of uh, weighted, you know, uh, weighted balls. So like think uh, heavier balls, uh, two pound, one pound, they have to go through certain motions to make sure that the shoulder and the elbow, everything's going to hold up uh, before we even get to a five ounce ball. So they have to pass that test. He passed that test fairly quickly, uh, which was good news. And then we put him on what we call an interval throwing program. It's the returning to throw. So he had taken approximately three weeks off of throwing. So we know we, we had to ramp him back up. We had to do it in a very progressive manner so that we didn't irritate the nerve again. We did what I call a 21-day protocol. It starts at a certain distance and works its way back over time. Um, very specific to him. We monitored it uh, through four days a week. And we monitored him every day so that we knew that we weren't losing ground or weren't having problems or continuing to irritate the nerve or starting to irritate the nerve. Once he was able to go 21 days without pain and problems and had significant effort and intensity with throwing, we've, I felt like it was appropriate to start him on a mound protocol. And his mound protocol had just started. And matter of fact, that's what we started with on his last treatment was his mound protocol. So as of right now, he went one day into his mound protocol. He had no symptoms. The ulnar nerve is doing great so far. Everything else looks pretty good. And and hopefully he will be back to uh, pitching in a few, uh, pitching uh, one or two innings with a pitch count here. We're hoping in the next two weeks 
Um, that'll get him into the words, the end of his season. Unfortunately, he kind of had this injury right in the heart of the season and just restricted his ability to throw. But it looks like we might get him back to be able to be out of the bullpen for the playoffs uh, for his particular league. So well, hopefully that will go well. All right. So let's transition to some questions and answer from our listeners. Uh, our first question comes from Dave. And he says, my son is a high school baseball pitcher, healthy with no injuries. Sweet. Keep it that way. The other day I noticed that he is unable to reach up his back to scratch the same on both sides. Right side is much slower. So I'm assuming you like reach up kind of behind your back this way uh, and you try to reach up and you, you couldn't do the right side as high as you could do the left side. I had him rotate his shoulders and notice a similar difference. So I'm assuming something like maybe something like this. And notice a similar difference. Is there something that needs to that he needs to stretch to improve this difference? If so, how? All right. Well, this, is, this brings up a really good concept, specifically for any type of throwing athlete. And in regards to throwers, um, there's a there's a there's a concept that I cover with all of my baseball players, softball players, volleyball players, javelin throwers that come in, and that is. I always ask them first, when did you start when did you start playing? When did you start throwing? Like seriously start throwing. You know, and you guys are a baseball player, hey, when did you start throwing baseball? When did you start throwing softball if you're a softball player? And they give me an age and it's typically an age 8, 9, 10, 11, uh typically when growth plates are still open. And what we know in the research now is that when you throw with open growth plates, there's a there's um, an adaptation that happens to the bone. They call it humeral torsion. It's where the bone actually, with an open growth plate, rotates itself back over time due to the stress of throw. And what happens is as your growth plate closes, that bone is already rotated back and then it fuses there. And so now you have this torsion of your bone, but what that does is it looks like you have a loss of range of motion compared to the other side. Most people don't throw both arms. And so if you were to take a right-hand dominant thrower and have them reach up your back like um, like Dave had, saw his son do, you're going to notice there's a difference there. And that's not a bad thing because I think it's an acquired thing. Now, in clinic, one of the first things we test, and we test on every baseball player, every softball player, um, actually been testing a lot more javelin throwers now, is we test what we call total arc of motion. That's how far you can go from internal, so internal rotation, which is this one, to external rotation, which is back. And we look and see how far and, and like that number is. And we take the total arc of motion, total degrees from one side to the other, and you know we add, the, add them together. Now, the research says for baseball players, that should some, be somewhere... On the throwing side, well, and there's a lot of different research out there, but I, what I've seen anywhere from 187 over to, to even over 200, some guys are really extreme, go way above that. But we know that that number is normal. Now, here's the deal. In my opinion, and what the research would suggest is that we don't want to compare that number necessarily to someone else, even though there's good data now to compare it with for high school baseball players, but we want to compare it side to side. So if you measure external rotation to internal rotation on the right side, then you measure it on the left side, 
Then you take the numbers of both. What you want to know is how close those are together. So I'll give you an example of a uh, baseball player that we're treating who's coming back from an injury, uh, from surgery in his shoulder. And I just measured him yesterday. He's on a throwing program right now. His left shoulder, he's right-hand thrower, his left shoulder measured 188 degrees total. Front to back. And then I measured his, uh, so his right shoulder was 188 degrees. I measured his left shoulder, and it was 185 degrees. But if you looked at him, they look totally different. One arm can go back a lot further than the other arm can. But if you measure those numbers together, they're relatively the same, which would indicate that actually he has normal shoulder range of motion. So, Dave, to answer your question, um, he doesn't need to stretch. Based on what you've seen him do, that's what I would consider a normal finding in baseball players. Now, if he does need to stretch, we would need he would need to be measured, and he need to be measured in a very specific way to determine if that's a problem or not. Now, Dave, if your if your son is having no problems, he's healthy with no injuries, that's great. Um, I, I don't know if I'd worry about it too much as long as his performance and everything seems to be okay. Now, that being said. One of the things that we've done here at Athletic Potential, uh, specifically more of this last year, is that we've gone out to high schools and we've done what I call the basic baseball movement screen, really sophisticated name. But the idea is we take all the players and they all get tested uh, with a certain type of strength testing as well as range of motion testing. One of the things we test is that total arc of motion and we compare it side to side. And what we're trying to do is just find guys that are not what would the research would consider normal. And that same research would indicate that, that those same players may be at increased risk for injury. And so what we're trying to do is identify those players before they become, uh, before it becomes a problem. So then we can give them what they need and have them start working on it. And rather than them coming to see me in the, in the treatment room, I would rather just, you know, watch them play on the field. And so the idea is to keep them out of the, out of the rehab realm and just continue to participate. So that's one of the things we do, um, uh, in regards to our, uh, to help our athletes to stay healthy is we, we do test range of motion to make sure that that difference in range of motion side to side is what we consider normal. So at this point, Dave, I think your son's probably doing okay. Um, if you're around anybody who knows how to measure baseball players, or if you're local to us here, we're happy to take a look at him. Just come on in, uh, shoot me an email, uh, Mike at athletic-potential.com. Yeah, shoot me an email, and we can discuss maybe ways to try and um, make sure that range of motion is normal for your kid. Good question. Thank you. Our next question comes from Janet. Uh, when reading an article on the windmill pitch in softball, I keep reading the phrase kinetic chain. I'm not sure I know what that means. Can you explain? Oh, boy. So this is, there's books on this, uh, whole big textbooks on this. So to maybe this would be a fun, uh, you know, intellectual brain exercise for me to try to bring this into one sentence or two sentences. Um, uh, here, here's my first go. I'll probably modify it. And if you ask me in a year from now, I'll totally change it. So, but let, let's start with this. So kinetic chain, the kinetic chain is essentially all the body segments is all the body segments working together with correct positioning, timing, coordination to perform a given task. 
I think that's my best go. But let me or, uh, let me um, elaborate. So let's talk. Okay, you t- you mentioned windmill windmill pitch. If you have um, if you have a ba- or a softball pitcher and they stand feet together, heels to or uh, ankle bones to ankle bones, they stand and they and then they go through their 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 throwing motion and whip it. They're not going to be able to throw it as hard as if they then moved and split their feet apart and stood in that in that position. But then they still wouldn't be able to throw as if they were able to rock back and then step into the throw. And they still would throw harder if they were able to, at that point, step back, rock, and then push off, kind of, you know, essentially pushing off towards home plate, and then whip it and throw. Now, that change in velocity of the ball is the product of using the kinetic chain. That's using the legs, that's using balance, that's the core, that's your trunk, that's your shoulders, that's your head, that's your all these muscles, all these things working together to create this massive amount of force that eventually goes down the arm and into the ball and then is released with the ball. That's the kinetic chain. So when you read kinetic chain, I always think just uh, just picture it's it's the it's the start of a motion to the finish of the motion with a whole purpose of that being to accomplish whatever that task is. So let's use a non-sport analogy. They, let, let's let's talk. A, let's just use a door analogy. Say you've got a really heavy door that you have to open. You stand right in front. You grab the door handle and you pull on it. But your feet are together and like ankle bone to ankle bone again, right? You go to open this door and you can't. It's too heavy. So what do you do? You, you widen your stance. You split, you know, one foot in front of the other. You bend down a little bit, right? And you kind of grab the door and you lean back into it. Now, what you just did was engage the legs into the ground. And core is a little bit tighter now because you're trying to generate more force, right? Well, you just use the kinetic chain principle to open that heavy door. So... When we hear kinetic chain, think it's the, the the whole interplay of all the body segments together, essentially trying to perform a task, um, and it's the interplay of all of those things together. That's the kinetic chain. That's a really good question. I, I, I love the idea that I had to think through how to say that, and I don't think I gave you the greatest answer, Janet, but I think what I'll do is I'll think more about it, and if I come up with a better one, I'll mention it in a future, future episode. Um, but anyways, the kinetic chain, that's what we're talking about. Um, it's its the interplay of all the body segments uh, together with correct timing, positioning, coordination to accomplish a task. I hope that helps. If you if that didn't answer your question, um, shoot me an email, mike at athletic-potential.com. Thank you. All right. Final question for today. Ryan says or asks, I have noticed that after pitching – so I'm assuming you're a pitcher, uh, that after pitching, it is harder to get my arms overhead without feeling some stiffness. What are some stretches of the best? What are the best stretches to help restore this motion? Now, when you say overhead, I'm assuming up overhead this way. So I'm going to answer the question as if you mean this. Um, and if you do mean that, then I'll tell you exactly what we have our guys do. Now, reminder of what I call rule number one in our clinic, and that is, Rule number one, if it hurts, don't do it. So if you go to do this stretch, you can call it a stretch, we call it exercise, then you're likely, you need to make sure it doesn't have pain. 
And it's probably the most easy exercise. It's something I have even the youth players do almost immediately because it's self-limiting, and that is hangs. So you grab a pull bar, preferably one that makes you have to get up off the ground so your feet can hang straight, and you just hang from the bar. Not an active hang where you're holding your body up, but literally just a dead hang where you just let things lengthen over time. Um, to better better describe this, uh, my normal warm-up routine before I work out starts with a hang. I walk over to my pull-up bar, which is just tall enough that I have to get on my very, very tippy toes to grab the bar, and I hang until I feel like my feet which are now flat, can hit the floor. That means that my shoulders have lengthened, the muscles have lengthened, my body's relaxed. I feel like I've kind of got this nice stretch um, feeling, and it just kind of loosens everything up. Um, And I definitely would say that it helps with overhead mobility. Now, one of the things we have most of our baseball players do, uh, pitchers especially, uh, we had our pro guys doing it in the fall, uh, or I guess in the off season, we had our, our college guys doing in the summer is at some point in their warm up, typically after foam rolling, um, they would go over to the pole bar and they would hang. And on average, there were 30 second hangs is where we started. But then I just had guys hang until they felt like they were done. And that's what we had guys do. And nobody hurt. And if they did hurt, then we would modify it. Um, but I, most of our guys that were healthy had no problems. And, So I feel like hangs are probably the best answer for you. Simple, straightforward. Um, So as long as you have something you can hang from, I think that'll take care of your your stiffness and those the feeling of lack of range of motion that you have. Now, that being said, if you go to hang and you can't because it hurts, there are a couple other things you can do that will maybe be effective for you. So one of the things we did with a guy that had some um, some old shoulder injury stuff that we just couldn't work around. We couldn't ever, he just couldn't hang. He had a, he had a shoulder surgery. Um, and he just was irritable for him to hang is we had him do a modified hang. So he actually lay on the ground. Now you have to have a cable machine to do this. Um, bands don't, don't work here. So I, at least they didn't work for him, but we had this guy lay on the ground, flat on the ground. We lowered the cable column machine, uh, all the way to the ground, attached the handle to it and put you know, I don't remember what weight it was, 80 pounds or something like that. Not very much. And we just did one arm at a time because we could control it better. And he would just lay on the ground, arm would go up overhead, and then the cable column would try to pull his arm you know, to the cable column. And so it was a modified hang, right? He's just using a cable column instead of gravity. And, and that actually gave him the stretching feeling that we want him to have and, and didn't cause any pain, which is exactly what we wanted. And for him, it worked. Now, again, you have to have equipment and you have to have, um, you know, the ability to do that. And the setup gets kind of funky. Um, we usually handed it to him because he was with us, but we showed him how to do it. You would just kind of hand one hand to the other and it, it seemed to work okay. So so that's another way to do it. If you have pain or if you just don't feel like the hanging is getting what you want, you could try that. Um, kind of the surefire method to get this thing all the way back, have a professional do it. And when I say professional, you need somebody... It sounds like, you know, obviously you're saying a pitcher. So if you're a pitcher, um, I don't think anybody should just stretch your shoulder. I think very specific people should stretch your shoulder as a pitcher because, I mean, it's kind of your livelihood, right? Especially if it's your throwing throwing arm. So um, we stretch shoulders differently than for baseball players than I do for other, for other athletes, um, specifically because I'm targeting certain range of motions and I have to be really careful with how the shoulder blade works. And so 
in your case, if, if you just can't figure out a way to do it, then I would seek out a professional who knows how. So there you go. And I, I'm not really sure how you would know that unless you had people refer you to, like, uh, hey, this guy's a baseball guy or something like that. I tell you what, um, Ryan, I don't know where you're located. Shoot me an email, follow up with me, and and let me know where you're at. And let's see if we can't find somebody that you can go to if you seem to have problems and and um, maybe we'll get you the help you need if you need it, if the hangs don't work. So uh, shoot me an email mike at athletic-potential.com and let's see let's see if we can get your everything solved for you so all right so that's the end of the question and answer so the takeaway from today um based on those things that we've talked about today one of the things that we i think is important for everybody to know from in regards to achieving their athletic potential is that it's a step-by-step process and as we were talking about the interval throwing program for our guy with ulnar neuritis, for our pitcher with ulnar neuritis, and with Dave's question in regards to his son, you know, in regards to his range of motions, and and even with Janet talking about the kinetic chain, there needs to be a step-by-step process. Now, we kind of know that you need a program. You need a plan. If you don't have a plan, you're just going to be kind of throwing exercises at it. It'll probably help in certain areas, but probably won't get you where you want to go. But you need a step-by-step process to make this happen. And sometimes that's hard to figure out. Now, you've heard me mention before, previous episode, uh, you need a coach. I I agree. Uh, And one of the main reasons you need a coach is to help develop this step-by-step plan. The other is for accountability, and it's really hard to coach yourself. Um, But in regards to developing a step-by-step plan, you don't necessarily need a coach to do that, although I think that's probably your best method. But you need to have someone who's been there before need to ask them some questions and how they did it and then and then lay it out lay out the plan we've we've talked in the past about point b which is where you want to go point a which is where you're at now but we haven't talked about is point you know a point one a point two a point three those little waypoints in between when we train athletes here at athletic potential they all have milestones call them whatever you want um, that they have to achieve. And we don't move on to the next phase until that milestone is met because we know that one builds on the top of the next. And it's a great way to train because you know for you know for the whatever time period that is, that's what you're doing. You don't look further than a week to two weeks ahead because you have a specific short-term goal, guide, guideline, waypoint, um, um, milestone to look forward to. And it, it just keeps you on track. So, Takeaway, if you don't have step-by-step plan or milestones in the plan from your point A to point B, go to your plan and plug in some and plug in some milestones, things that you, you, you feel like you need to achieve before you make it to the next phase. Um, and if you don't know how to do that, let's find a coach. If you need a coach, shoot me an email, mike at athletic-potential.com, and I can either help you find a coach that's in your area or we can try and find a way to help you here at Athletic Potential. All right. Well, that's episode three. I appreciate everybody's time. Please, 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 please rate, review, subscribe to the podcast so that we can reach more listeners and help everybody else uh, achieve their full athletic potential. Until next time, thanks, and we'll talk to you next time.